If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me, as always, is my co-host Curtis, and on today's show... With everyone now getting at least somewhat of a look at the 2018 season, um, or I guess the 2018 team with G-Day, we figured it'd probably be a good time, why not, to, op- to once again open up the listener mailbag to let you guys ask us all of your pressing post-G-Day questions. And as usual, um, you guys didn't let us down. You gave us a, a list of great questions to dig into, and we'll get into all of those here momentarily. But first, I definitely want to remind everyone that you can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UJ. Love to hear your thoughts on everything post-G-Day. Uh, and you can also find us on a variety of podcasting platforms. Of course, you can find us on dogsportsradio.com, part of the larger V4O internet radio network. You can download the Dog Sports Radio uh, app straight to your smartphone. You can also find a bunch of different uh, Georgia content on Dog Sports Radio as well, so definitely check that out. You can also find us on the uh, iTunes and SoundCloud apps or just iTunes and SoundCloud, I guess, and also the Stitcher and TuneIn apps as well. And uh, we definitely appreciate everyone who's taking time out of their day to rate and review our show and give us a little feedback. We really do appreciate that. And if you haven't yet, if you get a chance, we would uh, be very grateful if you could take just a little bit of time to, to give us a little bit of feedback there as we continue to try to grow the show. But all right, Kurt, let's go ahead, man. we got a bunch of questions today. We want to make sure we try to get to every single one that was sent in to us, or at least... Most of the ones that were sent in to us. We had a couple that were uh, very similar, so we just went with one of them. Uh, but still, you get your your question answered, more or less. And we're going to start with Nick. Um, Nick's got a good question here, man. Um, it's it's kind of like a... There's two parts to this. The uh, first part is, what do you think are Jim Chaney's top three concerns for his offense this season? And then the second part is, and of those three, what, which one do you think is the highest priority for him to solve in order for the offense to be effective? I had a tough time with this one, Kurt, because honestly, there are not too many reasons I see to be concerned about our offense. So, But I try to put my Jim Chaney hat on. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. If you're going to be Jim Chaney for just a minute here, what are the three things that you're most concerned about right now offensively? Um, At least start I with one. What's a big one for you? The biggest for me is probably the pass protection from the running backs. All right, see, I didn't think about that. That's that's a fair question. We saw a little bit of that on uh, on Saturday. A lot of times the, the backs were actually releasing, going out into routes, so you didn't see a ton of it. Uh, but Kirby's made mention that, you know, especially with Holyfield, um, asked about how he's progressing, and, and he said there's not a question about him as a runner. We know what this guy can do carrying the football. It's just a matter of can he protect the quarterback. So I think that's a fair one. Uh, anything else that stands out to you offensively? I really had a hard time with this one because I think we there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this team offensively. Um, uh, to me, I think that really is my biggest concern. So, I mean, think about it. Other than that, almost every position has starters returning. 
Yeah, that's the thing. You have so many guys coming back, a lot of experience, and not just experience, but like productive experience coming back as well. Not guys who are just getting some spot time here and there. You get some guys who are playing some serious downs for us uh, and contributing in a big way for us last last year and in the last couple years, even in some cases. So I tried to, to answer the question the best I could, but I just want to be upfront here. I'm kind of like nitpicking here. I'm kind of splitting hairs, trying to identify three major concerns. I don't because I don't know if there are three big concerns, but. The first one I have here is how do you manage as as the as the coordinator? How do you manage the quarterback situation so as to to really not create a controversy and like divide the locker room? I think that is going to be a challenge, not just for Jim Cheney, but for the entire offensive staff, including Kirby Smart as well as the head coach. Uh, does that concern you at all at managing that situation? Because the, the expectations were already high for Justin Fields, and he and he put together a good performance uh, during G Day. And Fromm, you know, didn't maybe he was kind of pressing a little bit. I think he did some really good things, but yeah, obviously he had the two interceptions. And people, I mean, people look at the stats and say, okay, well, Fromm had two interceptions, Fields had one, so therefore, vis-a-vis, Fields should start. So, do you see that being a problem? Do you think we can handle that? Um, I think they can't just because of the facts. I mean, you already saw it last year with the handling of uh, Jacob Eason and Fromm. I mean, they, it was very similar. That's true. We already have precedent for that, and you you had to imagine there were some guys. You know, you know, obviously Eason had a lot of friends on the team, and he did everything the right way. I mean, there's. Eason thing was even more difficult because Eason had come in from the West Coast. He had come in, started from, um, you know, he held on to that position. Then you have Jay Fromm coming home, who was the Georgia boy. So right then, you already had a lot. You even had, like, the fan base divided. You know, people True. behind the good old George boy or, the you know, the West Coast guy that people didn't like his vibe. Yeah. So, I mean, you already handled it. And I felt like that one's more difficult because you really, like, it wasn't just the team that you're trying to stop the division from, but also the fan base. It's a good point. I also think it bears mentioning that, that Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm are much more comparable in terms of their skill set. Obviously, Eason has a better arm. He's taller. He's got more measurables. But they're both drop back passers at, at heart, right? So it's hard to get two of those to work two of those guys in there when they essentially do the same thing. Uh, but with Justin Fields, he has a different kind of skill set with his with his mobility. So you're able to kind of work him into the offense in a way that uh, allows both guys to the field and keeps them both happy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, but I still I'm very curious because it for the second year in a row, you're right. We definitely handled it well last year. But anytime you have a situation like this, um, it's it's always something that our coaching staff has to obviously be cognizant of, and I'm sure they are. Obviously, they are. But uh, we got to handle it the right way, and you also want to give both guys an opportunity because you don't want to create any kind of discontent in the quarterback room. Like you want both guys to feel like they have an equal opportunity, which I think Kirby does a really good job of kind of uh, cultivating in the locker room this competition, this kind of that that culture. Uh, but you want to make sure that both guys feel like they they got a fair shot and uh, they weren't cheated or anything like that. So you got to make sure you give those guys opportunities, and uh, I think we'll do fine with that because we definitely did that with Eason last year and we were able to handle that situ- situation pretty well. Uh, the next one here, like I don't know, like, is this really a question? I don't know. Uh, I, I feel confident there's going to be an answer to this, but I guess we don't know for sure. We didn't see a ton of of backs getting carries during G Day. So my second question here, uh, my second concern would be, will a legitimate second back emerge? I feel pretty comfortable comfortable here saying that DeAndre Swift is going to be number one, right? Yeah. I mean, even though we didn't see much of him during the spring, like I still feel comfortable saying that he did enough last year for us to expect that to be the case. But will a legitimate second back emerge, and who will that back be? I I still think Holyfield will probably be that guy based on what I've seen from him. I, I don't want to write Brian Herring off as a scrub. He's not a scrub. I like Brian Herring. I think he does a lot of good things. Um, I just think Holyfield might have a little bit – I mean, I think he has a few more strengths to, in terms of running the football. I think he has a, he has a great jump cut. 
Uh, they both run really hard. I think that Holyfield runs with a lower center of gravity, which I think is really important running backs. I think he's shiftier in space. He doesn't seek out contact necessarily like I've seen Harry and do time and time again, almost like Brent Douglas did years ago. You know, he just like seek out contact in the open field instead of trying to avoid the contact. Um, but I will say Harrion does have that more an added element of versatility in his ability to catch out catch the ball in the backfield, which he put which he was showing um, on Saturday. It was definitely a showcase that he put on there. Um, and we saw Holyfield. I mean, well, you're at the game. You saw Holyfield. They kind of cut it off if you're watching on TV. But that last drive where uh, the the number one offense trying to go back go down and tie it up, he had two drops on third and fourth down to end the game, which were like right in his hands. There's no excuse for it. So. That, I think that contest is going to see who that guy will be. Will Zamir White end up getting healthy enough to be able to play um, early in the early in the season? So I think will that second back emerge? Because we're going to we're going to need another back like we had last year. And the next one for me, um, again, splitting hairs. I feel pretty confident we're going to have an answer here, but it would be will Isaiah Wilson or Cade Mays or maybe someone else we don't know. Uh, will someone? be able to replace the play of Andrew Thomas at right tackle. Obviously, Andrew Thomas is still on the team. He's moving over to left tackle. He played really well for us at right tackle as a true freshman. There, there were a few moments maybe against Auburn on the road in, that, in the first matchup against the, uh, the Plainsman there where he had a little bit of trouble at times. But for the majority of the year, the guy was a stalwart at right tackle for us. Will Wilson, uh, Will Mays maybe, whoever it ends up being, will they be able to play or I guess replace that level of play that we saw from Andrew Thomas last year? Do you think the answer to that question is yes? I do. Um, while Thomas did a lot of good things, you also saw him be a freshman at times, especially earlier in the season. You know, there were certain things that we tried to stop him from doing. You know, we tried to help him out as much as possible over there, you know, keeping people in, chipping other people. Um, there's a lot of things we did. And I think at the same time, you know, Wilson, especially after having a year in this offense, um, I don't think you're looking at it as in a drop off. I, I think I tend to agree with you, Wilson. You know, famously last year came in from New York. Uh, the heat was an issue for him, wasn't used to that in the humidity. Uh, needed to drop some bad weight. He did that. He's got his body in shape. He looks really good. Still a massive human being, but has kind of rearranged his body, reworked the weight, moved around a little bit. Um, and I, I was really pleased with what I saw from him against the number one defense on Saturday. Again, it's just a, a, a one scrimmage setting, so I don't know how much you can draw from that, what kind of conclusions you're going to draw. But what I saw, is which is all I have to go off of, I liked. Uh, I thought he, he got pretty consistent movement over there at right tackle. Um, There's only really one player member where he got beat. Off the edge against an elite, I think a, a, board, a guy who will be an elite pass rusher this year, or at least pushing that that caliber of pass rusher, and DeAndre Walker. He had one play where he just kind of blew an assignment, which you know, I, it's not. I don't want to make excuses for the guy, but you don't you don't want that to happen. But you know, a, a guy who's really getting his first time there. Like, it, I mean, I can forgive him for that. But outside of that, I mean, he, I thought he did a pretty good job on his own against a pretty good pass rusher in uh, in DeAndre Walker there. So I, I think the answer is yes. But we got to see it on the field. We got to see it against SEC opponents, and we're going to get that test early on the first couple of weeks of the season at South Carolina and at Missouri. So those are three that I, I tried to come up with there. If I had to pick one, oh, I don't know, man. Because uh, I, I, I don't think any, any of these are like serious concerns. Maybe I'm going to go with C because we just – with my third one there with Wilson uh, or Mays, whoever it is, being replaced to play of Andrew Thomas. I think our, our offensive line could potentially be a strength if we have an answer at right tackle, which I think we will. But I guess we just got to see it on the field in actual game setting. All right, second question here is from Ben. Appreciate the question, man. Uh, about the quarterbacks. We talked a little about the quarterback situation. But Ben asked, last year coming out of spring, it was said that Fromm was farther ahead of Eason when Eason was a freshman, which I said many times, and uh, I stand by. I think if Fromm came in with Eason at the same time, I think Fromm would have beaten him out. That's just me. Uh, But the question fields farther ahead of where Fromm was last year 
at this time as an early enrollee during his first spring? Do you think the answer is yes based off what we've seen? Um, no, just because I think the one difference is that you saw from Fromm at, in his first spring was his uh, quicker decision-making. I agree. Um, look, they're different I mean, like, quarterbacks. Use his other physical attributes to his advantage, which we knew he would. But I think a little bit of the mental stuff, you know, how how quick the the internal clock and things like that are the only places where he struggles, which where something from excelled at. Yeah, and I don't know if Fields necessarily like, really struggles at it. I just don't think he's as he- I don't think he's where Fromm was this time last year, right? Like I guess yeah, compared yeah, to Fromm, he's not good at it, but he's just not as advanced as Fromm right. was. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I I, I agree with you. Uh, Fields has a totally different skill set. I mean, he has the ability to throw the football. He's, he put that on display. Although I, I will stand by what I said in the in the G Day recap show. I don't think he did anything spectacular through the air. Uh, he put up a good completion percentage, which was really solid. He showed solid action. There were a couple balls he threw in the dirt, uh, one or two that went high. But still, overall, he, uh, he, he he displayed good accuracy. But he didn't throw the ball really down the field at all outside of maybe that one pass late. I think maybe in the fourth quarter, J.J. Hallman about 20 yards down the field. He fit between the corner and the safety, uh, which was a good pass. But you didn't see him take a, a, a deep vertical shot down the field. You didn't see him test the defense like that. And honestly, there are multiple situations where – uh, the decision making wasn't, like you said, not exactly as quick as you'd want it to be, and we took a sack. Now some of those sacks were not on him, um, and, and some might not have been sacks in real games. Maybe could escape the pressure. But the bottom line is, there were at least two or three where the sack was completely a result of him not really making a quick enough decision and knowing where to go with the ball. There were a couple decisions where, or a couple situations where the guys were open, but he he looked at his first read, that guy wasn't there, and he would kind of start to take off. It's those kind of things, uh, where, where especially a guy like Fields, you get it because he can trust. He really should trust his legs, but I, I don't think he's as advanced. I'm with you in terms of reading coverages at this point, making quick split second decisions. I'm not saying he can't make quick decisions at all. I'm just saying I don't think he's as advanced as where From was this time last year in that regard. Um, can he get there? Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, this guy is not like he's like too far behind where From was last. Year. I think he's pretty close. I think. If Fields, Fromm, and Easton all came in together in the same year, obviously this is hypothetical, but if they came in together the same year, I think Fromm would have been the most advanced coming into college. I think Fields would have been a close second, and I think Easton would have been a pretty distant third there in terms of being prepared to read defenses, make decisions, understand where to go with the football, the nuances of the position. And I also think footwork is something where Fromm was pretty advanced coming out of, out of high school. Fields is not bad in that regard at all, uh, but there were a couple times where he got lazy with his footwork and kind of relied on his mobility, whereas Fromm, I mean, if you watch the, that guy, I mean, I know he threw two picks, but if you watch his footwork, I mean, dude, he looks so smooth in the pocket there. I think he also was more uh, comfortable in the pocket last spring. Fields didn't seem to trust the pocket as much. Again, just one setting, and I don't know how much you can draw from that, but what I saw from him... I don't know if he trusts the pocket or has, uh, has the pocket awareness that Fromm had this time last year. And I know it's easy, again, to look at the stat sheet and say, okay, well, Justin Fields threw only one interception, Fromm threw two, therefore Fields is further ahead of where Fromm was this time last year. But I, I think you got to put it into context. I mean, you're going against the number two defense, which had a lot of had plenty of walk-ons in, on there, and also like, guys on, on, on the, the, the three deep that just really are never going to play any significant downs whatsoever. Whereas these are... Um, from is going to get some legit talent there on uh, with the number one defense. So I think Fields is definitely further ahead than most freshman quarterback. I just don't know if he's quite where From was this time last year. All right, next question. Uh, this is a question from Jamie. Thanks for the question, man. 
Uh, Jamie asks, what is the likelihood that we go undefeated in the regular season this year? And if we drop a game, does our strength of schedule hurt us getting into the playoffs? Kurt, how would you answer that one? Um, you know, I think we have a decent chance. Of me, I've always said that if we get through the first four weeks, uh, especially mainly the South Carolina-Missouri game, then we have a really good shot of running the tables. Um, and then, depending on if we lost the game, um, you could say a strength of schedule hurts you, but in all honesty, our conference is so much stronger. Like, if, especially if you look into the playoffs, the strength of schedule, the only teams that has really has hurt are the Big 12. Um, that's the one that we really got it because back, especially then, they didn't have a conference championship. And when you look at, you know, Ohio State, they lost one game last year. As long as we don't lose to an inferior opponent. Right, by, that's the thing. It's who you lose to. Yeah, as long as you don't lose to an inferior opponent by 20-something points, then if it's a close loss and you still, let's say, we go into the SEC championship and knock off Bama, there's no way they hold you out. Even that loss is to, like, Vanderbilt somehow at home? I mean, as long as it's not a 20-something point loss. Well, I don't... I don't know if we could overcome. I mean, I mean, I mean I, I, if nothing happens in a vacuum. Well, like, I mean, I think that's unacceptable, and I don't see us losing. But I say, say we lose to a South Carolina, say we lose to an Auburn, something like that. Then I think as long as yeah. you still win the the championship, then you're fine. I mean, if you lose to a, a, a Vanderbilt, we don't deserve to go. Yeah, there's no yeah at home again. Very much no way. Uh, I I think you also have to mention the fact that like nothing happens in a vacuum. It, it really depends on what other teams, and other conferences are doing. If you have four undefeated teams in the major conferences, and we're Sitting there with one loss, I, we're probably not going to get. Even if we win the SEC title, I don't know if we get in. If they all win their conference titles, uh, it just it just depends on who they who they play, what their team schedule is. It's really hard to predict. Uh, I would say, hey man, like if you drop a game, we all know this. Like you take you take your destiny out of your hands. Like it's not in your control anymore. So you better win them all just to make sure. Uh, but the fact is, like look look at Bama last year. Okay, they lose a game, uh, but they lose to a good Auburn team. Right? Uh, their team schedule wasn't that strong. I mean, but did, did that hurt them? No. I mean, their season schedule was okay throughout the year. We looked at most of the metrics throughout last year. It wasn't particularly strong. Um, so I think if we drop a game, uh, and it's to a, a decent, like you said, like a South Carolina and Auburn, something like that, uh, especially South Carolina early in the season, I think that if we win out, then absolutely. If we win the SEC title game, beat Bama, if they're highly rated, which I expect them to be, then we put ourselves in a really good position. But you, you can't overlook the scheduling. I will say, if there's another team with one loss, um, let's say it's Ohio State, and they got one loss, and then they're playing Wisconsin, who's undefeated. Uh, so Ohio State's going to the same situation as us, going to face the Bama team that's undefeated. And we both we both end up winning that game convincingly. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who gets in there. I think it comes down to what your strength of schedule is. And I don't like – I mean, I hate this when we don't have another big out-of-conference game outside of Tech. I really – I hate it. Um, part of it's because I just want to see better football. I, I get why we don't do it. Why why hurt yourself? Other teams aren't going to do it. I wish instantly they would come well, up with a rule. One thing that killed us too is, for the most part, Kirby and people like that didn't put this schedule together. Yeah, they didn't. Um, but I, I, yeah, it's true. And I, in McGarry in the past has canceled like canceled home and homes with Oregon and uh, in Louisville, which I mean Louisville's not a great team, but still it's a quality out of conference opponent. Yeah, because like. Alabama's playing Louisville to start the season, and everyone's praising Alabama like, "Oh, they're playing a tough opponent." Right, like, but they don't. They they have no. They it's a, how is that any different than us playing Tech at the end of the year? That's what I'm saying. I mean, how's it, any different? Yeah. Like Tech Louisville is no better than Tech this year. Exactly, Tech will knock someone off. They should. I mean, Louisville without Lamar Jackson is going to be no better than Georgia Tech. But yeah, Alabama gets credit for playing them game one, uh, whereas we get no credit for playing Tech every year. They'll play them in a neutral location. Like usually when we play Tech, it's either home or away. So I mean. Yeah. I've never gotten that because Bama, they play one big game out, out of conference. 
they're just fortunate enough that their their in-state rival is a conference member. I honestly look, I hate playing tech. I mean, I I hate tech with a passion. I love beating them almost as much as anything. But at this point, like playing tech takes us away from being able to play cool out of conference games like Alabama gets to play every year, like LSU gets to play. Um, like Clemson gets to play. Clemson's, did you? I, I looked at this yesterday. Within the next decade, next ten years, Clemson is playing Notre Dame five times. Well, five see, times. Clemson also gets lucky. I mean, they still have to play South Carolina though, who's out of conference. Right, but I'm saying like, look, South. They do, but that's what I'm saying. Like, why can't we? Do that? Okay, so Clemson. I know Notre Dame is like a, a quasi ACC member, but you only play them like twice every like decade or something or whatever. Well, I mean, we're but they're to get on that path. I mean, it's, we're, we getting away from the, we're, we're getting away from our question at this point, but um, we're still trying to change it, like going to UCLA and stuff. Yeah, I just I wish we did it every year, but yeah, that's that's we'll talk about that later in the offseason. That's not exactly on target with the question here, but um, what is it like that we go undefeated in the regular season? I would say all bravado aside, I know we all want to say, hell yeah, we're here, Georgia's here to stay. You know, we're not going anywhere. We we're going to go undefeated. I, I just. I, I think there's some genuine pitfalls in the schedule uh, in, in multiple very losable games. I'm not saying like I think we're more talented than every team that we're going to play on the in the regular season this year. There's no like we should not lose based on talent alone. But you guys have all watched college football enough, you know like talent doesn't win every game. There's you play on the road, you don't show up, you have an injury. Uh, there's just there's so many things that could go on, and I'm just not sure how reasonable it is right now to expect that we will make it through every single one of those pitfall games unscathed. Like you mentioned, the early season, I agree with you. If we get through South Carolina and Missouri on the road those first four weeks, all the new pieces that we have playing um, serious downs for us, uh, I'll feel pretty good about our chances. But I'm concerned about those first two conference games on the road with a young team, especially defensively placing a lot of guys. Um, I, I think we certainly can do. It. I think we can go undefeated. We probably should, based on the talent, being more talented than every team we play. And I think Kirby, um, I think the days of like losing games that we shouldn't lose, I don't want to say they're completely behind us, but it's not going to be the norm. It used to be the norm. We'd always, you know, we'd always be one game where we'd lose under Rick that we should never lose. I don't know if that'll be the norm, but it's probably going to happen at some point. Uh, but there's just so many variables involved in going undefeated. Yeah, injuries, luck, leadership. It's just so hard to expect it. And also, I looked this up to answer this question. Uh, in the past 25 years, since 1992, there have been five undefeated teams in the SEC. Bama, in the Saban run, where they've just been off the charts, awesome. Obviously, we know that. They've been undefeated one time. They've been undefeated one time. So my question is, five undefeated teams in the next 25 years, is this team, is this iteration of Georgia's 2018 team, based on what we know right now with some of the, the losses we have from last year, is this that type of team? That's going to go on the I'll say this. I don't think we are the type of team that's the most dominant team, but you also have to look at our schedule while you have you still have Florida, t- South Carolina, or not Florida, South Tennessee. Florida, teams like that that are still on the down where if they were. LSU up, is probably going to be a little down this year. Exactly. Say all those teams are up to their top level and we're at our top level, I still I still don't think we go undefeated, but that's the only thing that's in our favor. And I, it's like we said all of last year. If, if, we play, if we bring our A game, if we play as well as we can, we're not going to lose any games. The, matter, the problem is. Get us to play that standard every game, which is kind of what that's what Saban has mastered. Those guys play to a standard, you know, and they don't play down to their opponent. We did for so many years under Rick, we played down to our opponent. We don't, well, we're getting away from that, especially last year. Is if we can play to that standard, what we are capable of, we won't lose. But it's just with so many young guys, it's like, will we always get to that level every game in and game out? There's some pitfalls on schedule. We'll see. We'll see. I think there's a chance. I just don't know if I'm going to predict it right now. I think it's more likely we'll drop one somewhere along the way. Hope not, but probably more likely. Um, Reggie, appreciate the question, Reggie. Uh, who is the one guy you guys think can change every game by stepping up their play on the defensive line? 
Where are you going to go with that? To me, I think it's as simple as Tyler Clark. But I think he already – I agree with you. I but mean, I think I he's mean, already he has, almost he there. He done it, but I think of all the people, he's the most dominant. He, I mean, you can maybe go with Julian Rochester because, I mean, he's only one the other and can do it. Like we said, Ledbetter does what he's asked to do. So if there was anyone else, you could maybe – maybe it, it, to me, it would probably be between Rochester or Hawkins Buckle. Yeah, I think if you're like, – the way – and this is just my interpretation of the question. I might just be completely misinterpreting. My interpretation of this is like, okay, which guy, if he stepped up, can really change things for us on the defensive line? That's how I'm interpreting because I think that Tyler Clark is already there. I think he's clearly our rock on the defensive line. He was our best defensive lineman last year, I think, by a wide margin. All these people from other fan bases look at Trent Thompson leaving and, and are saying, oh, my God, how are you going to replace Trent Thompson? I'm like, dude, Trent Thompson didn't even start last year. That was Tyler Clark. And I was actually listening to the radio today. Uh, I think it was it was Sirius Satellite Radio, and it was uh, SEC Radio. I think it was Matt Stinchcomb, who I love. He's a great dude. But he was talking about losing Trent Thompson, how big of a deal that was, and maybe Tyler Clark can be that guy to replace him. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, dude, I love you, but Tyler Clark was the guy last year. You know, Trent didn't. Trent has never lived up to his to his, his potential ever. Um, so like, I, I think he's he's a rock there. But I think I'm with you when you said Julian Rochester. I think if Julian can step up his play. I would feel a heck of a lot better about what we have on that defensive line. Um, Julian is, I don't know, he's kind of hit or miss. There are times where he can dominate on individual plays, but hes he gets put on skates far too often. I'm, I'm just going to be real, man. He doesn't have a, a, a really quick first step, which is troublesome to a degree. Like To me, like if he's going to be a big space eater, like be a zero-tech guy, you've got to be big enough and strong enough to take on um, those blocks, you know, where you're basically playing a two-gap system where you kind of just, you lock out on the offensive lineman, and you're playing two gaps, you're reading where the, where the running back's going, whatever. But I don't know if Julian's big enough for that anymore. He's he's done a great job cutting weight. He's like 305 pounds right now. I don't. He's not John Atkins. I don't know if he can play that role, and he, he wasn't lined up doing that on G-Day. Uh, but, but if you're not doing that, if you're going to play more of a one-gap type scheme, uh, where you're kind of more the penetrating dude... Julian, I don't think has the quickness that, especially that quick first step, to do that consistently. So, I got, I guess to kind of summarize that, I don't think he's big enough to be a two gap kind of guy. I don't know if he's quick enough to be that one gap penetrating guy. So I, I don't know. Like I know he's done some solid things for us, but we really need him to step up his his play. If he does, then I think we'll be fine with the defensive line. We won't have great depth, but I think we'll be fine. Um, but it's just a matter of can he do it on a consistent basis? He's done it at times. He's got to do it on a consistent basis. Uh, all right, next question here from Zach. Thanks for the question, Zach. Uh, Zach asks, considering that they were both at G-Day, I've got a recruiting question here. Do you think we have a shot with Trey Sanders or Clay Webb? Trey Sanders is a big-time running back recruit. Clay Webb is a big-time five-star offensive uh, lineman center. He's, well, center guard kind of combo there out of Alabama. Do you think we have a shot with either guy there, Kurt? Um, in all honesty, I'm not going to doubt our coaches. I think they're going to have us in it. Um, especially with Pittman, uh, with Webb, and uh, McGee with Sanders. Yeah. So I'm not going to say we're out of it. I think, I mean, it's going to be a tough battle. I mean, right, we've won some tough battles the last couple of years that, I'm, that you, I know I personally am not used to us winning. I'm used to us being on the one that's like Loses out. You know, the first loser type yeah. situation. So, I mean, I'm not going to doubt our coaches. I'm, I'm going to be optimistic and say it's going to be a tough battle. But if anyone could do it, I think it's our two, our our our, co- our assistant coaches yeah. and Kirby. I'm with you, man. Like at this point, like have we not learned to don't to not doubt these guys? Like, why in the world would you doubt Sam Pittman? Why would you doubt Del McGee? Why would you doubt Kirby Smart at this point? Now we're not going to get every guy. That's not possible. But if there's a guy that we really zero in on, I trust our coaches. 
Uh, Trey Sanders, I think we probably have a little bit better shot at Clay Webb from Alabama. It's really tough to get elite guys at Alabama uh, just because there's so few of them, and, and Bama and Auburn put such an emphasis on those guys because it's so rare to get elite players inside that state. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like you grow up in Alabama, you're either an Auburn, Alabama fan. Right, you're not transient. Like, no one moves into Alabama from another state because, hey, I want to go live in Alabama. Like, that doesn't happen. In yeah, Georgia... Not like, you're like, it's not like you're like, oh, they have a great school system or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they have a great school system. They have a lot of job opportunities. No, Alabama's a really poor state. People don't move in there for that kind of... I mean, very few, I will say. They just don't. Georgia's a different story. It's, there's such a transient population, especially around the metro Atlanta area, because there's so many job opportunities. It's a great area, great school systems. You have people moving in left and right. And those kids, when they come in, they might have grown up in other states. So they don't necessarily have the 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 built-in loyalty to the home school. They don't have that. And Bama, they all do. They grow up either being an Auburn or Bama fan, like you just said. Uh, so it's really hard to get those guys. But I'll say this. Webb is listening, right? Uh, he's definitely yeah, listening to us. Yeah, he was at G-Day. Like, he went to G-Day instead of A-Day. Now, he's been to Bama plenty of times. Maybe that factors in. But the, the, the fact remains, Alabama spring game, our spring game, same day, right? Within two hours of each other. He came to Georgia. That says something. Does it not? I mean, just get him on campus for that situation. That says something. And Trey Sanders also on campus. Uh, and look, I, the running back situation in this 2019 class is kind of murky. There's a couple guys that we're going after. We haven't necessarily like zeroed in on uh, – maybe one or two of those guys. I think we're starting to zero in on Sanders a little bit. It seems like that's trending that way. Uh, I don't know if that's a, 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 a done deal yet. I think the coach might want to do some spring evaluations. But we're definitely on him. And, uh, and so if I had to pick one of these guys, if we had a better shot at I would probably go with Sanders just because of Webb and the Alabama connection being from Alabama. Uh, but Sanders, I think we got a shot. I think both guys, we have a legit shot. But if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Sanders there. Uh, so good question, Zach. All right, next question here from um, yes, I'm saying this correctly, Hingle McCringleberry. Uh, I have a feeling that Britton Cox might start opposite of Walker. So it's not a question; it's more of a comment. Uh, and he said this after uh, after G Day. So Kurt, are you with Mr. McCringleberry here? Do you have a feeling that Britton Cox is going to start opposite of DeAndre Walker? Um, no, not not to start the year. I think he'll get a lot of PT maybe throughout this year, but I just don't see him being the day one starter um, opposite of him. I mean, he may he may be the first guy off the bench, you know, kind of how Walker came in a lot, but I just don't see him being the day one and out starter on the Jumbo Tron. I'm with you again. I hate always agreeing with you, man, but I, I mean, you're, you're making sense today. Uh, I would say that like a soft maybe. Like, I don't think. It's just not – I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I, is he talented enough to do that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and he had a really good spring game. And I was really impressed with his ability to uh, play against the run. He did a good job rushing the passer as well. I think he needs to work on uh, his get-off maybe a little bit there and, and add some pass rush moves to his repertoire a little bit more. But he did a great job of defending the run, which is usually something that young defensive ends or young outside linebackers struggle with. That's usually not their strength. It takes a couple years. Like guys like Lorenzo Carter, Devin Bum, it took them years to figure that out, really like their last year or so before they really got the hang of that. And even then, they were sometimes hit or miss, especially Bellamy. Uh, but Cox did a really good job in that one setting. Um, I will say that Cox is really, really good. He looks like he's a, a future first-round type pick. There's a little bit of stiffness in his game, which I think will come with the, with the weight program and you can kind of just work on his flexibility a little bit. But the thing about it is, I think the coaches really like Walter Grant's versatility because somebody's got to fill that Lorenzo Carter role, right? where you're playing in space, sometimes you're playing star in certain packages, and Grant has that versatility. He's not quite the athlete Lorenzo was, but he's got the versatility to do that. 
Cox can play in space a little bit, but he's not going to fill Lorenzo Carter's role. He's not as smooth of an athlete as as Lorenzo was. He's a great athlete, but not quite as smooth as Lorenzo. Um, he's not going to pull out a, a 4-4 caliber 40-yard dash. That's just not going to happen. Um, great athlete, just not Lorenzo caliber. Lorenzo's a freak athlete. Um, but so like, I, I think he'll – I think honestly, it also depends on the the scheme of the offense we're playing. But I, I think Grant will probably be that guy just based on versatility. But don't get me wrong, Grant Cox is going to play, and he's going to play a lot just in certain situations. Uh, next question here from Dawson: uh, Based on what we saw at G Day, which incoming non early enrollee 2018 signee will be most important to the 2018 team? Did you get all that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, to me, I. You know, we mentioned all the time. I'm probably going to go with Tyson Campbell. Yeah, that, so there's a couple guys I can say. I think Tyson Campbell, you can definitely make a big case yeah, for him. Yeah, me, I would say it would come down to three, honestly. I'd say Tyson Campbell, Adam Anderson, and um, lastly, I might go with Cook just because the running back and the catching the ball in the backfield. Interesting. So you did a little bit of, I, I, I got one of those on my list. I definitely, I mean, Tyson Campbell, I would say, would be in my top three. Um, my other one would be Quay Walker. Or Ch- yeah, Quay Walker slash Channing Tindall. Because right now, like we need an upgrade of talent at that position. Like inside linebackers is a really important position for our team. We have some good players. I don't think we have anybody that can be like an elite player. I mean, Monty Rice can maybe can get there. Monty I Rice is, a, is another version is a better version of a Tim Kimbrough. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's exactly that's a really good analogy there. That's a good way to put it. I, I definitely agree there. Uh, he's definitely he's a downhill thumper. He can play between the tackles really well. He put that on full display on G Day. I still have questions about his speed, athleticism, silent, silent. Not that he can't do it; he can, but not to the level that we need at that position to be that alpha male inside linebacker. Um, I think Walker or Channing Tindall could be that guy athletically. I know they can be. I just don't know if they're going to be ready to do it year one. We've talked about this plenty of times. So I put like Walker slash Tindall. And I was, here's a, a wild card I throw in there. Just because of the depth issues that demons on the defense line and the need for size at that zero tech, I think Jordan Davis could be a really important piece for us. Um, huge, huge, like 340, 350 pound defensive lineman out of North Carolina that it was recruited to play that zero tech position. Now it's really hard to expect a true freshman to come in and play that role against grown men on the offensive line in the SEC. But bottom line is we don't have a guy that's that big. Like, we don't have that kind of size. And we need that in those uh, odd man fronts and the base packages. We have a true zero tech nose guard, um, and he just he fills a role that we don't have right now. Right now, you're trying to play De- DeQuan Hawkins Muckle, who maybe is three hundred, three ten. Uh, we just need more size than that at that position. So I, don't, I know he wasn't a, a super heralded recruit or anything, but he definitely fills a need. But if I had to pick one, um, I'm gonna go with Walker or Tyndall there. Uh, that, that kind of a Walker slash Tyndall, whoever steps up and. Could potentially take one of those inside linebacker spots, and I think that's a key for our defense. Uh, next question here uh, is from Alex. Appreciate the question, man. Alex says, "Do y'all think or ask? Do y'all think the trick play we ran? I guess talking about the one uh, that Miko, the little end around pass. Uh, that trick play we ran was chosen specifically to test Richard LeCount, given how critical of his play Coach Smart has been this offseason. So, Kurt, was that designed to get LeCount confidence? I guess is what he's asking." Um, I think it was designed to actually test him. Kirby even said his post uh, post game press conference was talking about. He said, you know, McCown not only made a good play on the ball, but he actually did a good job of you know doing his assignment, staying below, and everything. So I think it more than anything was just to try to see if he's going to over you know overrun things and how if he's going to play too aggressive to where he's not using his head. 
I look, I love a good conspiracy theory. I do. They're great, man. They're fun. Uh, I I agree with you that I, I think like it's certainly feasible and maybe even likely that Kirby did want to test which look out. Like maybe in practice throughout the throughout sp- spring, he you know he had shown the, the tendency to overrun things, which Kirby has mentioned and not stay at home, be too over aggressive, and maybe Kirby wanted to test to see what he would do in this setting. Uh, but the idea that like. Kirby designed this specifically for LeCount the interception, like to get his confidence up so he can say nice things about him and make him feel good about himself going into the, into the summer. I don't know if I would go that far. Would you? No. Like, I don't think like he designed it. So, hey, Nicole, I really want you to throw an interception Rich LeCount so that he feels good about himself. I don't, I don't think that's the case. But I, I do think there's a realistic possibility and maybe even a likelihood that he did want to test LeCount there based on things that LeCount needed to work on throughout spring. And I think LeCount certainly uh, answered the bell there, no doubt. Uh, and account didn't even get that interception, did he? It wasn't account, was it? Yeah, it was. Was it? Okay, I can't remember. Oh yeah, that's right. McGee. Okay, okay, okay. That's right. Right. Pool was the other one. Okay, you're right. Uh, last question here from Clint. Um, and this is kind of outdated. We have got some breaking news on this as we're kind of like recording the show right now on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, he says now that Pat Allen announced he is transferring, we are getting closer to the 85 scholarship limit. But we still need a little more attrition to get there. Who will be that final guy or two to leave to get us to 85? Well, the guy I had, like, I'm looking at my notes right now. The guy I had written down was Jaleel LeGuinz. And lo and behold, like, right before we hit record here, we get news coming down that Jaleel LeGuinz is indeed transferring. So there you go. Um, and according to my numbers, that puts us that put us right at 85 if you add in the 18 guys coming in this summer from the 2018 class. However, we have also just added Jay Hayes, a graduate transfer from Notre Dame. That puts us back to 86. So, Curtis, we do have to get down one more at least. And there might be a couple more to leave. might be more than one or two. But we have to get down at least one more based on my calculations. You've got to get down to that 85 scholarship limit. Who do you see potentially being that next piece of attrition to get us down to 85? All right, well, you know, we have been hearing that even yeah. after these guys, there may be a couple more, so it's not like it's just one or two. Um, if I had to bet, you know, someone I've thought the last couple of years would eventually transfer and they haven't uh, would be Jarvis Wilson. Yeah, he's a senior now. Well, he oh. is a senior, but as it comes to the point, because he was an early enrollee, maybe he graduates and go to a yeah, school. Grad just transfer. Yeah, grad transfer. I mean, because then he would still – he'd be a graduate transfer. He'd have his degree from Georgia, so then why not try to at least kinda go like, somewhere? Kind of like Jay Hayes coming from Notre Dame. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't shock me because I mean, he. I mean, even with all these, you know, attrition and stuff we've had in the defensive backfield, he has not made a stride. He's not been one person that we've talked about at all holding down a star position or anything like that. Yeah, my three, and we, we had this question on our last mailbag, but this was before anyone had really transferred. And our, and I'm not to pat ourselves on the back here, but the guys that like were our top three options here. I don't say choice. We don't want anyone to to transfer. I hate that for him, but. We said Chigbu, we said Pat Allen, and we said Jalen LeGuins, and now all three are gone. Uh, another guy looking at is maybe a Justin Young, who is, he's a defense. Like, but the thing is, like, we can't afford to lose by. He's even a guy like yeah, Justin Young. They would, they would desperately try to. Yeah, we don't. He doesn't play that. a ton. He's more of a situational pass rushing guy that plays inside in those situations. But like, honestly, we just can't afford to lose by as a defensive tackle right now. Like, just just can't. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, you and I were talking about this before the show, Kurt. Um, Look, and I don't, I don't really have any true inside information on this. So you know, take that, take this for what it is. But now Kirby said at the outset of spring practice, in this opening press conference, he was asked about D'Angelo Gibbs, and he said that he fully expected him to return. Um, however, I'm, I'm starting to have my doubts right now, um, and, and I was kind of 
I was laying this out for Curtis earlier. Yeah, a G day. I did not see Gibbs for a second. He, from all accounts, has not been at practice, has not been working out with the team, not doing any of that. Uh, now, you might be saying, well, if he's not enrolled, why would that matter? Well, here's why it matters. Just kind of looking between the line, reading between the lines here. Trent Thompson last year was in a similar situation where he was not enrolled during the spring semester. However, he was there at practice almost every day during the spring. He was working out with the team. He was running on the sideline during spring practice. He was uh, on the field in a jersey during the spring game last year. You cannot say any of that for D'Angelo Gibbs. I do not have any hard information that he's not going to be back. I don't know. But it's just kind of ominous when you look at all that. Him and, and Trent Thompson, both similar situations, not enrolled in the spring semester. However, Trent was around the team. Gibbs right now is not. And maybe there's a perfectly logical explanation for that. I don't know. Um, but, Curtis, are you at least concerned about him potentially not coming back at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to. Yeah, I think it's – it's. I mean, look, I don't want to start any like conspiracy theories or anything, but it's just if you if you read the tea leaves here, it, it seems to be at least somewhat pointing in that direction. There's There's reasons to at least doubt that he'll be back right now. So maybe he's that guy, which would really suck because, man, like he, could, he would be a perfect fit for us at Star. With some of the issues we have with death in the secondary, that, that would be a hit. That's, that's be real. If that happens, that's, that's going to be a hit because I know at least when he was recruited that we were counting on him. And he looked really good in that position last year or during the spring in the summer months, and then he gets hurt, and, you know, the rest is, the rest is history there. So I don't know what's going on there, but I think it just bears some mentioning and something that we should maybe keep our eyes on here over the next couple of weeks um, leading into the summer. So we'll see. I hope that doesn't happen, but I don't know. I have my doubts right now. But uh, all right, so that does it for us here on the Glory UJ podcast today. Guys, we definitely appreciate each and every one of you sending in your questions. Uh, and, and don't hesitate, guys. If you have any questions along the way, don't have to wait until we put a, a call out for mailbag questions. You can send them to us anytime, and we'll kind of catalog them and uh, hold them for the mailbag shows, which we'll be doing here periodically throughout the summer as we get closer and closer and closer to the season. I mean, it's, it's getting here, man. We're almost in May. So uh, next stop here, I guess we'll have the summer recruiting months. We'll have some 7-on-7 camps that we'll uh, be visiting and reporting back on to you guys. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys, as always. Uh, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Go dogs.